You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to a very thought provoking episode of Ask Drone You. My name is Paul. My name is Rob. Super excited to be here with you today. Even more excited that you're here with us. I know we say it over and over again, but we're thankful for you. We appreciate that you spend a few minutes of your day listening to our uh, our little show here. Uh, your questions, askerdroneyou.com. Get them in. We'd love to hear from you. We appreciate every one of you that has taken a couple of minutes to do so. And uh, I would imagine there are a lot of you that are um, probably at home. If you got a day job, you probably don't get to go to the day job because of um, lockdowns. We know there's more of that coming around. And so, I don't know, maybe you have more time to think about your drone business or your drone dreams. What's coming to mind? Let us know. We'd love to talk to you about it and hear a little bit more about what's on your mind. It's amazing how many of you come up with things that make us go, huh, that's a really interesting way to look at that. Or that's a really interesting way to ask that question. So uh, come on in. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Definitely would. Definitely would. Thank you, Rob, for that. And thank you for everyone joining us today. Um, I just want to preface kind of what we are talking about today, because there has been a question in this industry and some of my good friends who I have known in the drone industry for a very, very long time. And I'm talking about people who are fantastic DJI Phantom pilots, but they're also fantastic FPV pilots, and they're fantastic Cinewhoop pilots, which in my book, uh, you know, when you're in a Cessna and people judge the level of pilot and, you know, if you got the ATP, you're pretty much up at the top. But long story short is people judge how good of a pilot you are, you know, when you go up in their Cessna, how much rudder are you throwing into that roll? Are you making nice, smooth banking turns? Are you factoring for the wind? Are your turns about a point? actually concentric um you know this is essentially how a pilot judges another pilot and for me with drone pilots the way that i judge uh drone pilots is not only the depth of information but also in understanding well are they a good los pilot or are they good at los and fpv that's pretty rare it's extremely rare like johnny fpv best fpv pilot on the planet no questions asked right okay guy can't fly los to save his life Okay. He probably doesn't want to. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> and unless you learn to to really train both ways, it's very difficult to go back and forth. Um, but by the way, this is something that we go over ad nauseum. Get it? Uh, never mind. Uh, ad nauseum. Uh, <laughs> Coming at, soon at the uh, subject tracking course, which is I one didn't of, know that. Oh yeah, because we talk uh, all the time. Sense? Well, because we talk about how to do close proximity shots and we talk Mm -hmm. about FAA says you've got to seek and avoid, but in order to really fly safe and make sure you don't hit someone or the boat, you're looking at the edges of your framing. Mm. And so we talk about how to do, and uh, Coach Taylor, if you listen to my show, he was my lacrosse coach, uh, head on a swivel. Still talk about it. So, <laughs> anyway. It applies on so many levels. Oh, so, 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 so many levels. So, um, today though, we're talking about uh, what is navigable airspace. Because, long story short, is a lot of people have been asking this question. In fact, at FAA conferences, at 
private conferences, I've asked FAA people, what is navigable airspace? And it disappoints me when all I hear is corporate respeak, okay? Which means uh, FAA owns the heavens to... Uh, what do they call it? The grass, the, the blades of grass to the heavens above, I think is like the, the sentence that's used all the time. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, uh, that is actually not true. Um, and actually through action, the FAA has proven to us that that is not true. Hmm. You nailed it earlier. Remember I said, don't yeah. forget those two stories to bring up, Kay? I forgot. So do you remember a while ago we talked about, you know, flying stadiums and if the stadium is an enclosed stadium, mm -hmm. it's inside. And then we reached out to the FAA and we're like, so if we're flying inside, it's not FAA jurisdiction, right? Not navigable airspace. Right. And they're like, yes, that is correct. So then remember we did the story about the guys who were dropping footballs from the stadium and that stadium had a roof. Right. Remember? And remember, we, we talked about how, like, okay, if the roof is closed, it's not navigable airspace. However. Right? But if the roof is open, well, according to the FAA as we heard it, then technically you could fly outside of the stadium into the surrounding airspace, right? It's obviously a plausible thing that could happen. Doesn't mean it will happen, mm -hmm. but... So long story short, they told us that, okay, if you're inside, if that roof is closed... Right, it's not navigable airspace, but uh, if the roof is open, it is navigable airspace. Remember, we talked about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. What sure. does that say to you about navigable airspace? Oh goodness, that there's still a big question as to what it actually is. That it's not a, a rational thing at this point. That there's a lot to still be determined. I guess. Well, because you brought up the question to me in pre-show, and I wish we had this recorded, but you were like, so Paul. Uh, after all that legalese that we just went through, because this morning Rob and I went through the whole thing together, yeah. which is very rare, by the way. Um, and we went through it and Rob's like, so wait a minute, if I have like four tall trees around the back of my yard and I put up netting around those trees and over it, it's no longer navigable it's airspace. It's not navigable airspace. Or is it? I don't know. But it's well, not, right? Well, technically it's not because if a plane, a plane were to fly into it, well, not only would we have much bigger problems than defining navigable airspace, but uh, that plane would crash because of the netting. I mean... Yeah. And, and, and so, again, the point of all this is where can we fly, right, without... Yeah. So, why are we asking this question, yeah. right? What is navigable airspace, right? And we, we talked about in our book that we wrote, gosh, almost five years ago now, almost six years ago now, when we wrote in our book about the cause case, right? About whether you have the rights as a property owner to control your airspace. And if you remember in our book, we talked about that Cosby stated that you have the usable rights to your airspace. And it was simply built off of the legal premise that in order to occupy your land, well, you're going to have to build and you're going to have to build up that mm -hmm. means that you would be occupying part of the airspace, which uh, Justice uh, William Douglas made very clear mm -hmm. that you actually do have a reasonable right to the airspace. This is what, can we read what he said really quick? Uh, and I was actually getting to it because I thought that uh, that argument that we read in, uh, it's, are you on page 10? I'm on the book, in Banner's oh. book. 
Oh, I wanted to read the, well, let's read both. Okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead. Let me, let me finish with this really quick. Yeah. So we were given a document um, by an industry insider who is very high up in a government agency who said, this is how the FAA thinks about what is navigable airspace. Because we haven't really gotten a clear answer on navigable airspace. And since the whole issue of Skydio and questioning whether it's actually legal to fly that drone under 107 and not getting a, a concise answer from the FAA proved to us that the FAA is not really considering these rather important issues. And it's also easy to understand as to why when you're not practically flying, it's difficult to understand what the hell's going on. Okay. So anyway, I'm done with that. <laughs> All right. Uh, so in this definition of Cosby, this is something that's very different. If we take a step back, right, a step back in history, did you know that previously, before aviation became big, in America, you did own the blades of grass on your property to the heavens? Did you know that? It was called ad coleum. So listen to this. From this document, I'm not sharing the document. Don't ask me. Um, those state and federal laws satisfy the aviation industry, but they upset many landowners who did not want to ensure that the noise and other damage that low-flying planes could cause. The landowners could not defeat the legislation for the usual public choice reasons, but they could and did sue when they suffered individual harm. The ultimate demise of Ad Colium came through one such lawsuit. We've talked about this before. The U.S. Supreme Court decided U.S. versus Cosby in 1946. In that case, low-flying military planes caused the plaintiff's chickens to jump up against the side of the chicken house and the walls and burst themselves open and die. <laughs> um, <clears throat> this was cited uh, from, um, what's Banner's first name? Um, it's Stuart. Stuart Banner, who's UCLA law professor. Okay, on page 229 of his book. The plaintiff, it's interesting, by the way, in this article, that it moved from an ad coliam, which you're describing, rule, to the current regime. So anytime the, there's a negative connotation with the word regime, agree more. right? So anyways, carry yeah. on. The plaintiffs sued the government, arguing that they were entitled to compensation under the takings clause of the Fifth Amendment. The court's decision, authored by Justice William Douglas, could have resolved the case on a narrow ground by simply holding that there was a taking of land because the government's flights affected such land. Justice Douglas did reach that conclusion, but then he went much further and opinioned on what airspace landowners do and do not own. He wrote that if the landowner is to have full enjoyment of the land, he must have exclusive control of the immediate reaches of the enveloping atmosphere. Otherwise, buildings could not be erected, trees could not be planted, and even fences could not be run. Thus, a landowner owns at least as much of the space above the ground as he can occupy or use in connection with the land. That last part, use in connection of the land, is why a lot of legislation failed in 14, 15, 16 regarding people trying to set up their own no-fly zones over their homes, right? They were trying to say they own the airspace. But Cosby says, yes, but only so much of it, okay? Mm -hmm. That's the key point that people miss. It's just only so much of it. But, right? but even that is such a vague term. 
only so much of it. He says, exclusive control of the immediate reaches. Well, what the heck is an immediate reach? What if I He have... says that he owns at least as much of the space above the ground as he can occupy or use in connection with the land. Like a, you could have a hundred foot tree. No, I think you're, I, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you because your next question was brilliant. No, no, no. So the, yeah, I mean, and this is, I don't think it's a new question. I think a lot of us have been thinking about this, but the question is just not being answered. And so that's kind of why we're here again. And that is that if, why don't the powers that be simply create something very simple? And we'll get to another point that's made here in a little bit about common sense, right? And how Justice Douglas approached things in a common sense way, which in many respects, this article sort of, um, I don't know, gets on him for that, which I find fascinating. But common sense would say, if we own a piece of land, why do we not have access to that land up to the tops of whatever we have on that land, be it mm-hmm. trees, be it buildings? Mm-hmm. Why is that so hard? Well, I don't think it is. And I think well, the then, reason... If it's not, why hasn't it happened? Well, because I think that there's an issue about taking a side one way or another. Because if you agree with the statement that you just made, then FPVers, Cinewhoopers, and drone pilots can fly in their own airspace on their own property however they would see fit. Okay, so... But that would throw a wrench in an incapable group of people who make rules. Right, so to take the other side, what's the argument? Well, I want to... What's the other... Yikes. <laughs> uh, it's so funny because I always argue on Instagram that uh, before you argue any argument that you should thoroughly and objectively understand both sides. Yes. I would say that the FAA would argue that because they are trying to ensure safe navigation for aircraft and they're trying to set a standardization of rules for drone pilots because there's an issue. Think about you put your FAA hat on okay if I had the poop emoji I'd put it on my hat right now um so uh, I'm gonna put my emoji hat on right now and let's think of it like this right they're like well what about the guys who are flying in their backyard who try to um uh see how high their drone can fly don't effing do that okay don't yeah this conversation is not about allowing that to happen correct but that would be the fa thing is like okay well how do we explain to people that okay you can fly in your backyard but if you're flying recreationally anywhere else that you would have to adhere to these rules right and i think what they're assuming is that the american people are dumb which we have realized with coronavirus that People aren't as dumb as we thought. People are capable, well, half are capable of, maybe I shouldn't say half, (laughs) are capable of of thinking for themselves uh, and not listening to another person, which don't forget, rules of geniuses, always check your sources. And then you don't have that problem. Um, So I bring this up because the question is, what is navigable airspace? We've never really gotten a solid clarifying definition of what that is because some drone pilots believe that they should be able to fly in their backyard willy like not willy-nilly but they should be able to race little racers in their backyard and it not be up to the FAA to tell them they need remote ID they need to have a transmitter on them so that their child can be viewed on some federal system etc etc okay or the drone um you know, needs to, uh, you know, you can't fly it in controlled airspace. Well, hold on a minute. 
this is why the question of navigable airspace is really important. What if I live in controlled airspace? Okay. What if I live in yeah, controlled airspace? Yeah, that's when it becomes an issue because obviously otherwise you have up to 400 feet and you're fine. Unless you're a recreational pilot and then technically you're not supposed to fly in controlled airspace unless you get... Well, I'm saying outside of controlled airspace. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't want to go too off the rails here because if we don't keep this <laughs> it's succinct... Easy to do. It's easy to do. It's going to be almost impossible to follow the train of thought. So let me take a couple steps back, okay? Thank you. What is navigable airspace? Why does this matter? Pilots are afraid to answer the question because they believe that if they are below the treetops, just like inside, that they should be able to fly their drones without a license or without a certificate, excuse me. And so while I would respectfully say I disagree with that because we need to figure out ways to standardize education on drones, I'm trying to make the argument both sides. I'm trying to say this is what the FAA thinks. This is what theory and research says. And I think that that's really important because we just read earlier, Cosby, the ultimate demise of Ad Collium was the Cosby decision, which was written by William Douglas, who was the justice of the time. Banner, who quoted the Cosby case as I read it to you, was also the person who wrote this big piece of research about who owns the sky, the Wright brothers on, who is actually in charge here, okay? And the way that Banner introduces Cosby is to actually compare two different views of airspace. The Benthamite view is that property and law are born and must die together. Before laws, there was no property. Take away the laws, all property ceases. In contrast, there's the Bastiat view, which that property does not exist because there are laws, but laws exist because there is property. Okay. And the Supreme Court effectively embraced the latter of those two views, but not through a rigorous theoretical analysis of natural law or property rights or let alone a citation, but rather a famously non-rigorous justice, Mr. William Douglas, simply followed his own ideas about common sense, as Banner notes, after decades of debate in which many participants had spent years thinking about the question, it ultimately was resolved by one powerful man who was likely considering it for the very first time. Now, when we read hmm. that... Which I see as a positive. <laughs> <laughs> I was just getting to that. <laughs> I said, when we read that, Rob was like, yeah, common sense, right? Because ultimately, you know, previously they were saying that, I want, where was that regime word? Um, um, do, 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 do. Because was, essentially they talk about how after that time that we're currently now into the current quote unquote regime of control. Um, yeah, yeah. So I was talking about Ad Clem rule, which was sort of abandoned by the current regime under which landowners have no right to the sky above them. Correct. Anyone with government permission can fly almost anywhere. It's the beginning of the article. And governments assume the right to limit access to their air however they see it. So it eliminated that that uh, tube that goes up from or that whatever. Mm-hmm. What, what, what would you call that? Well, that tube is clean. fine. Yeah. <laughs> that goes up from a person's um, property lines all the way up, I guess, to infinity. I don't know. But... Uh, Anyways, there's something really interesting here, because just like in the drone industry, 
Congress actually retracted a lot of regulation when they realized the costs that were being caused by a lot of these issues. In 1978, the Airline Deregulation Act abolished much of the worst regulation, and as a result, consumers' choices have increased while prices have plummeted. The FAA continues to limit competition to the detriment of consumers and would-be competitors of the airline industry. But also, by deciding it had the authority to regulate aviation, Congress further eroded the ostensible limits on its power under the Commerce Clause, which it now invokes to justify regulation of practically anything. Okay? Practically anything. By the way, one of the arguments that's used in this paper that I thought really, uh, just really, really spoke to me is when I explain airspace rights to tribes, because there's a lot of really cool places to fly in the Southwest, and some of them um, are on tribal land. And don't forget, private entities can control takeoff and landing. They cannot control airspace. And so every single time I bring this up to, uh, I've been accosted by law enforcement tons of times. Um, whenever I bring this up to law enforcement, I'm like, let me just make the argument as simple as possible. See that Southwest jet right now? Let's actually, let's see if it's Southwest, right? Pull up my flight radar app. Okay, sorry, it was American Airlines, okay? See that American Airlines? Did he call the chief and ask for your permission to fly over the land? Hmm. No, he didn't, did he? <laughs> or any of the other reservations that he's flying over right now. Well, why did he not do that? Because you don't own the airspace. It's that simple. And, it, and I can also understand as to why a lot of the tribes in the past did think that they did own the airspace, which is the ad colium rule, yeah. but that was overturned in 46. So this brings back to who actually controls the airspace on my property. I know. And by the way, the ad colium rule was, I mean, that wasn't a, a law per se, right? It was, a, it was a perception almost. Correct me if I'm wrong. No. But it was a perception. It was a theory. It was uh, the basis that people lived by, I suppose you could say. Correct. But it, it wasn't established law necessarily, I don't think. Um, as far as I know, I mean, he certainly doesn't make that argument in here. The United States moved from the ad calium rule, so it was a rule that just kind of went away based on this case whereby chickens were beating themselves to death. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> when you think about that, it's actually kind of funny. Um, it's actually also kind I of... I feel bad for the Cosbys. But so that's it's also kind of funny because it proves what the DOJ scientists said about drone pilots being shot at, that it's not an issue until damage is caused or not damage. He said someone's hurt, but I mean, the chickens were hurt. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, the uh, let's see. Oh, gosh. Now my mind just went blank on the the justice's name. Uh, William Douglas. William Douglas. He even said that it did matter because even though it was in the air, it affected what was going on on the land. And mm -hmm. therefore, somehow that, that landowner had some rights associated with what's going on in the air, right? Yes. And also the, that particular issue of land rights, air rights, typically land rights are set as hierarchy, right? There's the federal rule. 
then there's the state rule, right? And I want to bring up this next point because in this document, it talks about how the federal government was extremely concerned with a patchwork of rules from state to state about the ad colium rule as far as who owns the actual airspace. And so in this piece, and I quote, in fact, of course, the industry's choice was not between private and federal regimes, but between a patchwork of state rules and a single set of federal ones. Given the interstate nature of air travel, federal regulation may seem preferable to minimize compliance costs. And just as the U.S. Constitution is least offensive to those who favor economic liberty and political decentralization, where it assures freedom of trade and travel between the states. So this type of federal regulation, which arguably serves to make regular within the original mean of the commerce clause, may seem relatively benign and preferable to the likely alternative, which the likely alternative is talking about states. So that being said, why do I bring this up? We have talked about on this show for years about the problem of a patchwork of rules of states, cities, municipalities, counties creating their own drone rules. Something AirMap was a proponent of, right? That's exactly which correct. Is, which Who was now the problem. owns Kitty Hawk, by the way. Um, so that being said... The FAA knows the importance of a federal patchwork of regulations. We know that, right? We saw the memorandum after 107 to say, states, you cannot create registration systems. You cannot create your own licensing rules. You cannot, you know, do all these other things. And I don't think a lot of states and regulators and authorities really went down the rabbit hole as to why, which is actually very, very, very eloquently laid out in this document, which is essentially comes down to the public choice expectations and transactional costs of the airlines themselves, which essentially means that it would have been um, industry killing if every airliner would have had to pay every state, every person, whoever property they flew over. Can you even imagine that? No, I can't. Which I is, literally, it's too big for my head to figure out how that would work. Which is why they had to say that, yes, property owners have a right to their airspace, but also aircraft have a right to fly through said airspace, which is why we are where we are right now with navigable airspace, because planes have the inherent right to fly through said airspace. But as we know from the FAA, that has to be navigable airspace, right? And so that gets back down to, if I want to buy a drone from Best Buy to let my kid fly in the backyard, is that okay? Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, maybe one thing we should do, I mean, we might've done this at the beginning, but we'll do it here. And that is to give the actual written definition from the FAA of navigable airspace. Google it. No, I have it here. Oh, okay. Read it. It's defined as airspace at and above the minimum flight altitudes prescribed by or under this chapter, including airspace needed for safe takeoff and landing. I rest my case. This yeah. podcast over. Based off of the definition of navigable airspace right there, safe passage for takeoff and landing. Okay. Safe passage for takeoff and landing on a 747 is about, what, 5,800 feet? I got a lot of room. Well, <laughs> That's not, okay, that was egregious and wrong. That is not correct, okay? <laughs> but then, of course, it depends on how close you are to the airport, which was Cosby's issue. Yes. And that, ugh. Are we ever going to get this question answered? I think the answer is actually very clear. 
Okay, what is the question? I mean, I think, what is the, what is the answer? Here, I'm going to steal your computer really fast. Okay, so for airplanes... Okay, hold on, I'm going to read this. According to federal aviation regulations, navigable airspace is defined as airspace at and above the minimum flight altitudes as prescribed or under this chapter, including airspace needed for safe takeoff and landing. Okay, so let's actually go to the law. 14 which, which CFR 1.1... How close you are to the airport or how close, uh, sorry, how close you are to landing or taking off. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Hold on, hold on, hold on. My point is, is that Cosby, why the Cosby case, the, the case of 46 ended ad column, meaning the person, the homeowner owns from the blades of grass to the heavens, right? And then they decided that the homeowner does have a right to the airspace or the envelope, but also planes have a right to, uh, what do they call it? Uh, you use it, easement. They have a right. Oh yeah, it's like an easement through the sky. Sure. Correct. As it relates to Cosby, the other thing that we talked about was in terms of really ultimately answering this question about navigable airspace is it's a moving target because technology changes. And the article kind of goes into that a little bit as well. But the the technology changes, the the power and might and 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 um how loud airplanes are, et cetera. So when the Cosby's first moved into this place that they lived, the planes weren't an issue in 1936, right? Is what they said. And then planes became an issue. And so that changed everything. And so it's like the, the the rules associated with this ultimately would have to be a moving target. We might be in a paradigm now where that's not true, but back well, then it would have been. It's funny that you say that because in that document, it says that William Douglas discussed that the technology is not going to change. And he used, if you remember, one of the things that uh, essentially that technology could only change so much, that these rules wouldn't change because at the end of the day, the pilot has... Um, a responsibility, not even a responsibility, but an inherent assumption that the pilot does not want to crash their plane on someone's property Mm -hmm. because they don't want to die themselves. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how technology will not really progress beyond that because there's going to be a pilot. Oh, here we are. Here we are. No yeah. pilots. <laughs> That's true. So, okay. And, and getting closer to even larger aircraft with no pilots. Correct. Yeah. Under 14 CFR 1.1, uh, navigable airspace means airspace at or above the minimum flight altitudes, just like you said, prescribed by or under this chapter, including airspace needed for safe takeoff and landing. Well, Safe takeoff and landing for what? For a helicopter, for a plane, for a gyroscope, a little kite. I mean, what are we talking about here, right? So navigable airspace is defined again. Um, see, I think that we're actually at kind of a fundamental issue here because even they're talking about, I looked up, you know, definitions of airspace and one of the airspace, uh, the highlights that came up was restricted area and saying under part 73, um, or any area designated under Part 73 within the flight of an aircraft while not wholly prohibited is subject to a restriction. And so they talk about, you know, how restricted areas are defined, et cetera. But I think that this whole navigable airspace, who owns the airspace issue, might actually be uh, a kind of fundamental question here. Here's the thing, though. Here's something that's interesting. Further down the document, unmanned aircraft are defined here. 
But here, let's see what it says. Um, small unmanned aircraft means unmanned aircraft weighing less than 55 pounds on takeoff, including everything that is on board and otherwise attached to the aircraft. A small SUA or SUAS means small unmanned aircraft and its associated elements that are required for the safe and efficient operation of the national airspace system. Okay. So for a geographical sense, airspace in the United States means the states, District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, and the possessions, including territorial waters and the airspace of those areas. Hmm. Okay. So anyway, I'm back at the top of the page now. Um, why is this important? And I mean, like kind of re retracing back. Well, the federal government realized a couple things. I haven't been able to finish any of my thoughts as I think about this because <laughs> the much. whole um, state issue, the FAA knew they needed a singular framework of laws, right? Which, by the way, I think most of us would agree with. Agreed. What I'm about to say fundamentally proves that the FAA doesn't know how to go about this airspace issue. At least I think it's a legitimate, practical reason as to why we can assume the FAA is not attacking this issue. <sighs> States rights, federal, 46, feds realized, got to have one system, one rule, so we don't inhibit interstate commerce, right? FAA 107, they said the same thing. They wrote the memorandum that says states, you can't control the airspace, no registration systems, none of this, none of that. North Carolina does it anyway, okay? They create their own state system. That state system still exists, even though in the Commerce Clause and memorandum from the FAA clearly states, states cannot do that. I finally have the proof that in NCDOT, guys, you did not do your research because in this document, it specifically states why a state-based patchwork system has transactional costs that literally create a monopolized system that goes against the Sherman Act, okay? It's not a better way of doing things. You hurt other people. And so this is important because the FAA has shown that by letting North Carolina Department of Transportation still have their licensing, still have their registration system, which is a direct contradiction to legal documents that the FAA has put out as far as what to do is the perfect perfect practical representation that there is not an answer on this airspace issue. Who owns what? What drones can you really fly where? If you're on your own property and it's your airspace up to the top of the trees, chances are you can probably fly in that airspace because it's not navigable by other aircraft. Yeah. So I guess ultimately... Did I sum that up okay? I think so. And I think as I kind of think about all of it and like, what, how do we kind of funnel this into something meaningful and a, and a conclusion <laughs> where I end up is this may all be true. What you just said makes sense, may be true, but ultimately that doesn't mean they won't come after you. And so you have to be willing and prepared to... And this is a little bit theoretical, but nonetheless could happen practically. You have to be prepared to take it to the fullest extent of what it could be, meaning the courts, right? Ultimately, that's what we're talking about is how far are you willing to let this go and affect your life if you decide to pursue flying in, in an area that you would consider to not be navigable airspace because there's some question as to whether it actually is or not. Does that make sense? 
I don't know if any I think it does. And I've seen this this on a lot of Reddit groups and a lot of Facebook groups is FPV pilots saying like, well, I don't need 107 because I'm not flying above the trees. And if you go look at the Supreme Court law, it's very clear about you as a property owner. If you own the property, own the airspace to the usable airspace, meaning you can build a house, you can plant a tree to occupy said airspace, right? Yeah. And, and then, there's no limits on, I mean, how high you can let the tree grow. If it gets to a certain point, you don't go up there and cut it. True. So, I I don't know. Yeah, don't very know. true. Interesting. Honestly, we don't really know. So, that being said, um, frankly, uh, when it comes down to what is navigable airspace, well, we answered the legal definition, what is navigable airspace, which is very clear that there must be enough space for takeoff and landing. Um, for what? I mean, at some point, we've got to simplify the law because, and it's so funny, I, in political theory in college, they talk about this. They're like, if you just keep changing small things at some day, you're going to hit a climax where there's one wrench in the system that throws the whole system off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're going to have to change the whole system. Otherwise, you're going to keep dealing with problems. Yeah. And, and sometimes you do that and, and you break the system. True. It's almost not fixable. Well, and I mean, that's also what kind of makes me sad because like I'm not, you know, trying to uh, cause tensions between aviators and the FAA. I mean, I think it was George Washington uh, who said, as Americans, it's patriotic to question the government to understand clearly what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I agree with that. And I think the question is, what is navigable airspace? And do these FPV, um, do these FPV people, do these Sinawa pilots are, you know, are they subject to the law? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, you know, some people might say, well, we have Lance now, we have controlled airspace versus not. So we know how to, you know, kind of what we're supposed to do in those areas. We know how to get authorizations now. And so why does this even matter? And, and I would suggest on a, on a very basic level, it matters in terms of commerce and maybe just you need to do a job and you want to fly some real estate jobs, for example, and why mess with all that if you're going to fly in space that ultimately isn't navigable? Mm-hmm. On a very practical, basic level, that's just one little example of why this matters, matters and it just grows from there. As one investigator put it to me, Paul, if you're flying in non-navigable airspace and another helicopter or a plane is flying there too, you have much bigger problems. Yeah. So get out of the way. I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, technically <laughs> no, you're supposed to yield. Yes, but, you are. That's and, why I said that. And thinking about it from the FAA's perspective, if you think about it, right, in, and people just believe that they have rights to their airspace and they just start flying and they don't know what they don't know and they cause crashes and they cause all these other problems and all these other issues. And it's like, yeah, how do we educate people on what is safe well, first, we have to be intellectually honest about what is regulated. Yeah. And that's all we want to know. Like, can we just go down the rabbit hole for a second here? Because just did. lots of definitions just changed four or five years ago. And, and now, you know, we talked about Cosby. We talked about how property owners can control takeoff and landing in our book, Living the Drone Life. And now we're really talking about that in a whole new realm. Yeah, you know, the world, the world's changing. 
It sure is. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us today. I, I, I did a terrible job at keeping us on track and being succinct and trying to make the argument that actually the answer to this question is out there. If we look at the actions of the FAA in how they have responded to things like your drone being shot out of the sky, like North Carolina having their own registration system, even though they direct everyone not to do that. Um, so, you know, when it comes to this, what type of message does that send to people that you can just do what you want and get away with it? Wow. Proof is in the pudding. I guess that question is up to our audience, and we invite anyone, including Mr. Douglas or anyone from the FAA, to come on the show and talk about this. Because at the end of the day, we all want a little clarity. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah, that's really because, what it's about. Uh, yeah, especially when we're seeing more and more and more people just flying and ignoring everything. Um, I, we have got to uh, educate, we've got to be clear, and we've, we've got to communicate, and it's that simple. And the FAA all the time is like, we need help communicating the message. It's like, well, maybe your message is not effective. So whoever's in the marketing department over there, I'm reading this book too. I would recommend it, words that work. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't, I'm not trying to berate the FAA. I'm, what I'm pissed off at is the fact that some of my friends who are very knowledgeable about flying drones are afraid to ask this question. And there are other hmm. people who are afraid to ask the question and they're flying anyway. And they're like, you know, well, we'll just see what happens. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. And that's, I don't think that that's the right way to go about it. That's just me. So... Not from a safety standpoint. I mean, look, we live in a country where there's more laws and more pages of laws than I think we're even capable of reading in a lifetime. And I've already argued for the simplification of law uh, numerous times. Um, and I think that this is a fantastic example of that. But I also think that this is a fantastic of unification and simplification of law would actually bridge the relationship between drone pilots and regulators, especially the FAA. But the FAA has to drop labels and attitudes that drone pilots uh, are just, you know, wannabes from Best Buy. I mean, I've heard this from the administrator myself. And we have to, look, just for you FAA guys, uh, it's really, really, really clear to empathize with pilots as to why you think they're that way. And it's because they don't think very highly of you. So, <laughs> I mean, let, let's... It's not exactly the mutual admiration society, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, let's get <laughs> off of our high horses here. Let's bring people together. And I think the FAA actually has a history of doing that with compliance-based uh, enforcement. So, yeah. I think this is a great opportunity for them to come out and clarify some things and 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 bridge some some relationship gaps, albeit I'm not sure that that's the intention. So I guess only time and new regulation will tell. Yeah, let's get that, get back to Mr. William Douglas's uh, common sense perspective. If he were still alive, man, I would love to interview that guy, but I mm, doubt he is. So right. uh, yeah, I doubt it. So yeah, he'd be like 120. He was a Supreme Court justice, so he and it was in the 40s. Yeah, he's probably not. He's he's definitely gone. <laughs> he's been gone a little while. Yeah, well, maybe. Yeah, uh, well, our production budget isn't high enough to go find his great grandson who has his That's journal right. who explains exactly why he did what he did. So anyway, on that bombshell, that's gonna do it for us today. Thanks for joining us. My name is Paul. I'm Rob. Thanks. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity. 
for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.